Welcome to this episode of the Atlanta Career Journey Podcast. Today's guest is Doug Eisenberg, who is the founder of the Giga Law Firm. Doug and I worked together at the International Olympic Committee when we were part of Meridian Management. He was one of the few people there that really understood technology and the potential legal implications that the internet could pose. I always found Doug to be incredibly smart, humble, hardworking, and insightful. He had a great way of breaking down complex situations into simpler concepts to understand. It's been a while since we last spoke, and I'm happy to have him on the podcast today. So welcome, Doug. Um, thanks for having me, Paul. Uh, I really appreciate all those kind words and got great memories from our uh, days of working together uh, a few years ago. Yeah, I know we, we didn't get a chance to work together very long, but I, I followed your career um, since you left Meridian and it was, uh, it's been a fascinating journey. So I, you were definitely one of the ones I was looking forward to when I set this podcast up. So let's well, maybe, you. yeah, so let's maybe start at the beginning. Tell me a little bit about your background. Where'd you grow up? Um, I grew up here in Atlanta. Um, I often say that I feel like I haven't gotten too far, um, but uh, I uh, graduated from Fulton County Public Schools and went to college out in St. Louis at Washington University um, and uh, ended up uh, back in Atlanta right after college. Um, so uh, I unfortunately feel like that's one thing I, I've missed out on a little bit in, in my life is uh, the experience of uh living in other cities, I eventually, I, I thought I would um, maybe move around a bit and eventually end up back in Atlanta. But as it turns out, I've spent almost uh, all my life here. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and I mean, I, my daughter and I just visited St. Louis a few months ago and we, we saw Washington University and it's a great campus. So I, I didn't know much about it until we got there. And um, I can see why you traveled out of state to go there. It's very cool and a, <laughs> and a great college in general. It was, it was a great college experience. Um, yeah. uh, my, my, my oldest is, as you know, Paul is uh, a college freshman now. So it's, you know, bringing back uh, all, all those memories and, um, you know, colleges, uh, you know, we can talk about it if you want to, but college is, you know, and, and a very important time. It was a very important time in my life. Um, not uh, so much academically, um, as I've said before, but uh, just the whole college experience. Yeah, well, let's let's maybe go back to your high school and and get a sense of what you were thinking in high school. Were you um, did you have an interest in certain subjects? Were you good at certain things? Were there some extracurricular activities or uh, sports that you were involved in? Um, you know, it's funny. The uh, I, I guess it's been a few years, so it's hard <laughs> to remember exactly what the day to day life uh, was was like in um, uh, High Point Elementary School and Sandy Springs Middle School, and then. Uh, what was Ridgeview High School um, until I finished the 11th grade um, in Sandy Springs. And Mm -hmm. um, uh, Ridgeview became a middle school. Uh, So I spent my senior year uh, at uh, and graduated from uh, Riverwood High School. Um, But but I I, I would say, um, you know, probably the activity that I ended up spending the most time on in high school and particularly as a junior and senior uh, was the student newspaper. Um, and I think I was editor at, at both Review and, and at Riverwood. And that was uh, really something that I enjoyed. I'm not quite sure how I first got interested um, in, in journalism, which ended up becoming my first career before I became a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was definitely something that I was very interested in in, uh, in high school. Was it something about just telling the story or kind of uh, getting getting to the facts and, and kind of the essence of the news? Were there certain things that jumped out? Yeah, I'm not really even sure what it was. It was almost, um, I would say, not so much about the content is almost about kind of the the process. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, looking back, I, I do know one thing that I enjoyed not uh, in, in high school where we only put out, I don't even know how many issues we put out, but I don't know what, maybe, you know, one newspaper uh, per month or, or something like that. Yeah. Um, you know, but I, I became a, a daily newspaper reporter and there's something, you know, that's very satisfying to, you know, work on something today and create it and then move on to something else tomorrow, um, mm-hmm. but also having, you know, longer term projects as, as well. I, but I, I guess I kind of remember in, in high school and, you know, this was, um, you know, I guess I'm, I'm dating myself, but I'm uh, 52. Uh, you know, we did not have the tools to create a newspaper. I mean, that may sound silly. Uh, newspapers have certainly been around a lot longer than me, um, but yeah. you know, there, was no de- there was no desktop publishing, mm-hmm. for example. Yeah. Um, there, was, there was no internet. Um, and, uh, you know, so the whole process 
of both, you know, creating the substantive content, you know, that is what the actual articles are, what the photographs are, um, but the whole process of assembling the newspaper and creating that product, you know, it was just something I, I enjoyed. You're right. And it's, you know, it was less about, is that news accurate at this exact moment? And it's more about you've created, you know, some, some artifact, if you will, that tells a story. And it was, I, I mean, just remember, you know, certainly newspapers that, you know, my parents had, you, know, you get the AJC or whatever, and you knew it wasn't exactly current, but it was, it was current enough to you. And I remember our high school newspaper and even the college newspaper, it was, it didn't matter if it was a day or three days old or a week old. It was just the actual, almost like recognition. Oh yeah, we got our name in the paper or, Hey, this thing's coming up or whatever. So it was, it was less about who's first to break a story and more about just getting that press and that publicity. Right, right. Well, you know, I, I think the definite or a definition of news, you know, is simply something that you, you know, learn for the first time. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, yeah. so yeah, uh, you know, if, it, if, it, if it's new information to you, then, then it's news. Um, and so, yeah, I, I enjoyed that in, in high school. I think I, as I'm talking to you, I haven't thought about these things for a while, um, but this is great that you get uh, your guests to, to sort of- uh, Trip down memory lane, right? Yeah, ex exactly. But I, th I, th I think I was involved even with the newspaper at uh, Sunday School that we had, uh, was created many, many years before that. Um, you know, and to say a newspaper is kind of a, an overstatement, but uh, yeah, for whatever reason, um, it's just been something that, that I've always enjoyed doing. And, and it's nice, yes, as you say, to kind of um, create something that others are looking at. You know, it's not as exciting as a podcast. Um, it's not as exciting <laughs> as, you know, YouTube or, or television. Um, but, uh, you know, certainly there's, you know, a little bit of thrill of, you know, creating something, seeing your name in print and having others, you know, read it and associate you with it. Yeah, for sure. So you, you were already thinking about journalism as potentially um, something you wanted to study in college? Well, you know, it's interesting. I wasn't really sure what I wanted to study in college. Um, I actually applied to the engineering school at uh, WashU. And um, sometime after I filed my application, I realized I don't know what an engineer is or what an engineer does. <laughs> and, and so I um, wisely uh, uh, switched my application to the um, uh, College of uh, Liberal Arts um, and ended up with a political science degree, which, you know, was uh, good for <laughs> not anything in particular. Uh, <laughs> but it's certainly a stepping stone, right? I think all of our lawmakers and certainly a good bit of attorneys and they all, that's, that's one of the, uh, the, the paths that they go into, right? Well, that, yeah, and that's certainly true. But, you know, what's also interesting is, you know, because as I got involved, you know, in, in, a lot of detail in college with the student newspaper um, and served in, you know, many roles uh, there for all, all four years or three and a half years, because I, we can talk about uh, a semester I spent in, in Washington, DC as well, doing something journalistic related. Yes. Let's talk um, about that later. But, but, but um, uh, there was, I remember, and maybe this debate still goes on these days, I'm too far removed from the journalism world to know or the student journalism world to know. But, you know, there was a debate even in those days about whether to go to journalism school, you know, whether to get a degree, um, you know, in journalism. And there are some excellent degrees uh, to be had. It's, it's some, you know, wonderful schools um, all around the country. Um, or whether to pursue a more general degree like I was doing um, in political science or some other topic. And you can pick up sort of, you know, the uh, more technical skills, you know, from the work experience. And so that's the decision that, that I made. And I'm glad I did, um, probably because it, that ended up not being my long-term career. And if I ended up having a degree that was, you know, specialized for that, maybe I would have felt like it was more limiting to me. Yeah, it, you sort of had some options right, with the exactly. direction you went in. Gotcha. So were you thinking um, uh, as far as like coming out of school, were you looking at grad school or law school at that time? Or did you want to get out and sort of, you know, get a better sense of what the real world's like and what you were interested in? Uh, I had no interest in grad school <laughs> when yeah. I graduated college. I was, I, I had a, an incredible four years, but I did not want to spend any more time in school. 
Um, And so I kind of maybe had somewhere very far back in my head, you know, the idea of um, law law school one day, um, Mm -hmm. but I don't come from a family of lawyers. Um, I didn't know any more what lawyers did, you know, than what I saw on TV. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, um, so, so no, I really wanted to be a newspaper reporter uh, when I graduated from college and that's what I became. Um, and it was a great career for a few years. Uh, and, you know, I can happy to talk about exactly what, what I did, but, you know, um, this was, I graduated college in 1990. Um, you know, so even in those days, there was a lot of talk about, you know, what is the future of, you know, the daily newspaper. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was, really pre-internet. <laughs> um, yeah. And here yeah. we are, what, 30 years later, uh, and, and we see in large part what has become, you know, not of the national newspapers like the New York Times and the Wall Street Journals and the USA Todays and Washington Posts, mm-hmm. but, you know, to those city-specific newspapers. Uh, I mean, when I was in St. Louis uh, for those four years of college, um, I think my, my freshman year of college um, one of the two or three daily newspapers in St. Louis shut down. And while I was there, a new daily newspaper was launched. Um, it, it didn't last for very long as it turned out. Um, but, you know, there was still, you know, maybe not so much as, as growth, but, you know, there were still opportunities for multiple newspapers in large cities around the country. And that, you know, certainly has changed today. Yeah. So when you go to look, for a job at, at a newspaper because um, I know you know there's there are some some people where they'll do internships and that's sort of kind of the the inroad to get to your first job was there any issues back in the day with that or were they just you know they had enough opportunities for you to come in at an entry level and, and gain some experience how that what that look like well it, it was difficult I, I I had kind of a, a short-lived career for for three years in in journalism and in, in both newspapers and magazines so I don't know that you know the experience I had from 1990 to 1993 is terribly helpful to anybody today yeah um, but you know uh, it was certainly competitive at the time um, probably uh, uh, well, what, one one of my uh, college friends who was editor at, at our student newspaper, um, uh, one of several who has stuck with journalism as a career, um, she followed a much more traditional route and went to a very small town, um, a very small city to work for a, a very small newspaper and worked her way up by um, doing great work, but also being willing and flexible and able to move from city to city, you know, to essentially to larger markets. Um, Mm -hmm. And and eventually she became um, a reporter for the Associated Press and then for um, the Wall Street Journal and now the Washington Post. Um, And so, you know, you need to have, or at least as I went through that career, um, those of my generations went through that career, you needed to have the willingness to move around uh, you know, I, I don't, frankly, I, I don't know if that, uh, is still is, is, is true today, but I do know there are certainly fewer opportunities, unfortunately, you know, um, certainly in the newspaper business and, you know, in, in journalism, you know, I, I don't know what the numbers are again, yeah. out of the career for so long, but I, I would assume, you know, there are far fewer, uh, hardcore news reporters, reporters and editors and photographers and, um, others who, who make the whole package happen than, than there were uh, when I was in the business. Yeah, I imagine there's probably certain areas where you could be remote um, if you're talking about a topic that's not regional or local. Um, but I think, you know, you're talking about like beat writers for sports programs or um, just anything that's in the local market. You couldn't live in Seattle and write about the Atlanta restaurant scene or something, you know? Right. Um, well, or, yeah. or or attend. I mean, maybe you can now on, on Zoom, but hopefully we'll be out of these times uh, <laughs> one, one day. Um, yeah. You know, but you, you can't attend that city council meeting, you know, um, yeah. without being here in person. You can't go, uh, you know, literally sort through, you know, records of the courthouse. Um, if that's something that still happens. That's a great point. Um, you know, a lot of that stuff is, is online now, but, you know, there's something to be said for physical presence. 
Yeah. Yeah. And in, in so many, so many different ways. So you uh, went through the ranks at AJC. Um, I see you record at daily news for a little while. Um, at what point were you thinking, okay, this is definitely the career path I want to be on or what were you starting to think about a little bit differently? So I, I think uh, reality kind of hit me in the head um, because I was at um, the Gwinnett Daily News, which was owned by the New York Times regional newspaper group um, at the time. Um, and the New York Times was investing literally um, in this daily newspaper to become a competing daily newspaper for the metro Atlanta market. Um, And so while I was there um, for the circulation of the newspaper outside of Gwinnett County, um, the newspaper dropped Gwinnett from the masthead. It was just the daily news. Uh, Mm -hmm. I was the first newspaper reporter um, in the DeKalb County Bureau. I I opened up that little bureau. um, And we, as a journalistic endeavor, um, I think we succeeded. we gave a lot of competition to the AJC, the Journal of Constitution, um, and forced some real changes there. Um, I was a, a copy editor and a newspaper reporter, and that's kind of all I had my eye on. Um, but obviously, behind the scenes as a business, it was not going very well. Yeah. So um, I was there when the uh, paper shut down and the last newspaper came off the presses that night. Um, and that's sort of when I decided, you know, I think I need a different career because I'm not one of these people like my friend from college, who's willing to move around the country, uh, from market to market, uh, until I end up, you know, where, where I want, um, I wanted to stay in Atlanta since that was my home. Um, and I, uh, uh, you know, saw that there was, you know, one Metro Atlanta daily newspaper and I wanted a career that had, you know, a possibility of more than one employer in, in the city I wanted to be in. Yeah, that's right. Because and I think, I guess the AJC and the or the the Atlanta Journal, and the Atlanta Constitution were owned by the same company, but one was a morning paper and one was an evening paper, and then they combined them at some point. So, yeah, yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. So tell me a little bit about your your thinking for law school. So um, I, I in the interim after the paper closed, I, I uh, went to become an editor at a um, monthly business magazine, Business Atlanta magazine, which is also now gone. Um, <laughs> again, says something about you know the state of journalism or at least print journalism. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so that's really when I started thinking of, about law school. And I had been covering a lot of uh, courts and crimes, uh, you know, criminal uh, issues for the newspaper. And so, as I said, you know, when we started off this conversation, um, you know, all I knew about being a lawyer was what I saw on, you know, the TV show LA Law mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, other uh, things on TV. Um, the only lawyer in my family was an uncle who lived in another state. So I really didn't know anything about practicing law. Um, but I knew something a little bit about the legal system from having covered it as a newspaper reporter. So mm-hmm. I remember. Um, when I decided to go to law school, writing my law school essay about a case that I had covered um, about a a very uh, young boy who I think at the time was the youngest ever to be uh, prosecuted as an adult for murder in the state of Georgia. Um, And I remember writing my law school essay about that case um, and making the point that, you know, I wanted to go to law school because I wanted to practice criminal law. Um, and as it turns out, I knew nothing about criminal law and, and that has never been an area that, that I practiced in, but, uh, that's sort of why I went to law school thinking that that's what I would do. Okay. So you, um, I know Georgia state's, uh, really good law school here. Um, were you thinking of looking anywhere else? You had gone to undergrad out, outside. How'd you decide to stay here? Yeah. So, um, I ended up at uh, Georgia State, which is, as you say, is now a great law school, and I'm proud to be uh, a graduate of the law school. It was still pretty young um, when oh, really? I applied there. Yes, um, I didn't know that. I forget what year the school was founded, but it was not so uh, well established as as it is now. Um, and having gone to you know a, pri- a small private school. 
um, out of state, you know, it really wasn't uh, the type of school that I thought I would continue my education at, hmm. um, to end my sentence with a preposition. <laughs> uh, Forever the writer, right? <laughs> Um, at which I would continue my education, <laughs> yeah. but, but, uh, I, I am so glad that that's where I went to school. R really, um, my decision, you know, like a lot of decisions I made were, was one that was not very well informed by anything other than current circumstances. Mm -hmm. Um, I was, you know, back living in Atlanta. I liked Atlanta. I had friends in Atlanta. Um, I was dating my future wife um, at the time that I was applying to law school. Um, her family uh, is from Atlanta. And so I really wanted to stay here. Mm -hmm. um, and that's in large part how I ended up at, at Georgia State. The, and the, yeah, there's so many people that, you know, that's a, that's a big factor and determining where you go to school or where you remain. Now, is there does where you go to law school, does that really kind of almost build some roots in that area for your job out of law school? Or is it, is it like if you went to school, say in Texas, uh, and you wanted to come back to Georgia, is that less likely than if you were to either go to Georgia State or University of Georgia? I think, uh, you know, I'll give the typical lawyer answer. Uh, it depends. It depends. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it depends on um, you know, the, the reputation of the school. Um, you know, there are obviously, you know, lots of law schools that have national reputations. Um, there are law schools that have regional reputations. And so, you know, if you go to one of those schools, then, you know, the name of the school may be very meaningful. Um, and, and so it may be, you know, just as easy to get a job in any city as it is in the city where you actually went to that school. That makes sense. Um, but, you know, so it also depends a lot you know, probably on, well, what type of law you want to do, where, where you want to practice. I, I started off as, uh, uh, as, as you know, at a large law firm in Atlanta, which is not uh, obviously what everybody does. Mm -hmm. um, but if you want to be at a large law firm, then you need to do well in law school. Um, and, you know, for me, um, going to Georgia State uh, at the time, uh, Georgia State was not really nationally known. Um, and so I think if I wanted to get a job at that time in 1996, when I graduated uh, law school, um, if I wanted to get a job in a different city practicing law um, other than Atlanta, I probably would have been a bit more challenging hmm. and, than it, it, it would be today. So, you know, certainly networking um, is a large part of the legal job hunting process, just like it is for any job hunting process. Yeah. And I know like my, uh, my college roommate wound up going to law school and I've talked to quite a few others over the years and a lot of what you like your, your first summer, I guess, or whatever, clerking or whatever the, the phrase is can almost determine where you wind up once you graduate law school. Um, was that your experience? Well, it, it was, you know, again, I wasn't looking to really move out of Atlanta. Um, so, you know, I ended up, not only going to law school in Atlanta, um, you know, but I was determined to, you know, get my first law job in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, it was, it was easier um, uh, for me um, because I knew where I wanted to be and kind of as I went through law school, I learned what I wanted to do, which I think is also a very big, part of the equation. Mm -hmm. I, I was fortunate because I ended up with um, uh, what, what's called a, a summer associate position um, after my first year of law school. Um, law school, as you know, is, is, is three years. Um, and, you know, typically you look for a summer associate position between your second and third year of law school. And if all works out well, then, which is exactly what happened for me, then you may end up with that law firm is, is your full-time job once you graduate. But I was also very fortunate because I um, was able to get a, a summer associate position, a summer job at a medium-sized law firm um, here in Atlanta after my first year of law school, which was incredibly helpful um, for learning what it meant to practice law, because again, I had no idea what that was like, um, yeah. of meeting, you know, <laughs> real lawyers. Um, and, uh, 
so it was it was a, a, a wonderful opportunity that I was very fortunate to have had. That's great. Were you were you thinking about a certain uh, type of law, corporate, real estate? Uh, you mentioned criminal, and um, what, what were you thinking coming out of law school? So, as a as a law school student, um, essentially your first year curriculum is preset. You don't have any electives. Um, everybody's taking the same thing. So it wasn't until my second year of law school when somehow, and frankly, I have no idea <laughs> why, um, I ended up in a trademark law class um, or a, a copyright law class, I forget actually which one I took first, um, that I learned about intellectual property law. Um, as I like to say, you know, I, for my previous short-lived career for a few years, um, had been creating intellectual property. You know, mm -hmm. newspaper articles and magazine articles um, are protected by copyright law. Um, and I was clueless <laughs> that this was even an area of the law and, and what it meant. So somehow I ended up uh, taking those classes in law school and something just clicked. Uh, I will give um, my professor, Michael Landau, um, a great deal of credit as well, because he was um, a young, new to Georgia State uh, from New York uh, professor who had real world experience um, at uh, very prestigious large law firms. Mm -hmm. um, and an incredibly interesting person, a, a musician with an interest in art. And um, uh, so I, I, you know, th that expression, I bet other guests of yours have, have said it too, you know, sort of like the, the harder you work, the luckier you get. Yeah. Um, so I was, I was determined to work hard in law school, um, a lot harder than I had ever worked before. Um, but I was also very lucky um, with just some of the opportunities that happened to come my way and people whose paths I happened to cross. Yeah. And you're right. That is, that phrase is, is so true. I mean, there are, there are some times where luck just completely, you know, intertwines with your life, but usually it's, it's a combination of hard work, um, being aware, you know, networking and being at the right place at the right time. But even if you're there, you still have to walk through that door, you know, um, the lottery tickets are probably one of the few that are just truly luck, but, um, Oh yes. yes, as my as as my father used to tell my sister and me growing up, you know, the only place that success comes before work is in the dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, a little a little cheesy, uh, but true. Uh, I've not heard that. That's actually I'm about to use that with my kids. Now. That's great. Yeah, so that's funny. All right, so you um, come out of law school. Uh, you start with a big law firm. Um, were the things that you liked going in there, were you um, taken aback by certain things as you start to get acclimated with the real world and, and a big law firm? Well, um, you know, I was still very, you know, what's the expression, kind of, you know, wet behind the ears. Um, I had no idea what practicing law at a big law firm was like. Um, so yeah. even though I'd now spent three years in, in, in law school, um, uh, I really had no clue still what it was like to actually practice law. Um, and that, that's true. That's, that's one of the criticisms of, of law school, or at least it used to be. Maybe it's not as much anymore, um, you know, but you learn a lot more about um, what the law is and the theory of law and not so much about the practice of law in, in law school. Um, that's more sort of on the job training. And there's no better place I think to get that on the job training than at a large law firm. Mm -hmm. um, so I ended up at Alston and Bird, um, which was uh, one of the largest law firms uh, in, in Atlanta when I was there and I suppose still is. Um, the whole law firm market has, has changed a lot um, through the yeah. years. Um, but uh, you know, there's no better place to really, you know, get taken under somebody else's wing, which, uh, I was fortunate to have happened to me. Um, and I had a little bit of background as, as a teenager, um, a little bit of technical skills. I had taught myself basic computer programming um, when I was, I guess, uh, maybe about 13 years old or so. Um, never really, you know, hardcore uh, into any kind of technology, um, but, you know, maybe a little more so than, than the average person. Mm -hmm. And so I started off at, at the firm first as a, a summer associate in 95, and then as a full-time associate in 1996, which um, again was very 
lucky for me that this was a time when, you know, the internet was really taking off. The World Wide yeah. Web was just literally invented. Um, and uh, so there was this area of the law that kind of intersected with, you know, a bit of technology, a bit of intellectual property, um, a bit of uh, uh, journalism, um, you know, to some extent. And so all of these interests of mine kind of came together at the same time that this was becoming an important area of the law. Mm -hmm. um, and so, again, I was just very, very lucky that I was uh, at, at a law firm that was starting to, you know, build a practice in the area that really appealed to me. Yeah. And that, that time was really pretty amazing um, in our history because it was such a land grab for online presence. You know, you had AOL be kind of became sort of the, the big dog um, and you had Earthlink and there were some other ones, but um, you had, you know, Netscape browser had come out and there was, you know, Microsoft was getting into it and there was just all these startup companies that were doing all kinds of crazy things. And it was, it was pretty, pretty fascinating, but there weren't any real rules or certainly any precedent to figure out, you know, what's, what's allowed and what's not, or what, what's dangerous and, you know, what's accepted. And in one, one aspect, you had a personal, interest. Like I, I go home and I use my dial up modem and I connect AOL and I read the sports page, <laughs> yep. you know, but for companies and it was a little bit different. There were internal networks that had been around for a while, but sending a lot of, you know, either business correspondence was still being done by fax or, you know, emails to a certain degree um, was just getting, you know, really, I think, I think a bigger presence of that, but I still remember, and I'm fast forwarding a little bit into Meridian, but do you remember our office in Lausanne actually shared a dial up modem for a while? So is that whole, right? I don't, I don't even remember that. The entire office shared like a 9,600 baud modem. So right. you weren't, you weren't watching videos on that. You know, it was pretty basic stuff. Um, <laughs> yes, ex exactly. I, yeah. it, um, I was just explaining that to my, uh, three sons recently, you know, what a dial up modem even is. And you know, if, you're, <laughs> if your like. listeners, Paul, or <laughs> if your listeners, Paul are 18 to 25 years old, and they probably don't know uh, I, either. Yes. Um, you know, yeah. but there was, you know, uh, no high speed internet, no Wi-Fi um, mm -hmm. way to connect to, to the internet. It was to plug the phone line into your modem um, and tie up the phone line to get a, a slow speed connection for the one computer in your home. Yes. And certainly no, no mobile phones that could do all of what you just described in your pocket. Right. Exactly. And much more. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Great. So, so you got um, a really good sense to kind of tie all of what you've done to date, as well as your interests, um, kind of hone your skills a little bit there at Austin and Bird. Um, how long, how long were you there before you started thinking my next step? Well, I was only there for a couple of years um, and, until you and I met. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yep. you know, Meridian was my next stop. Um, I, you know, I think I realized pretty quickly that you know, my personality um, is, or my predisposition, whatever you want to call it, is you know, not um, the type that is going to be at a large law firm for a long time. Um, so I'm very thankful, very appreciative of the fact that I, I was there, still in touch, um, you know, with uh, uh, a number of people uh, who I used to work with, and including the uh, now retired partner um, who hired me. And very, you know, thankful to to him. Just just uh, saw him recently. Um, mm -hmm. So it was it was a wonderful opportunity. But I was looking for something, I guess, you know, more entrepreneurial. Um, yeah. Not sure. It, it took me a little while to, to find it, um, but I at least thought, you know, going somewhere, you know, to a smaller office, mm -hmm. um, I, I guess maybe we need to explain what an office is these days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's you know, a place but, where everybody went without a mask exactly. and you had your own assigned seat that you could That's work exactly and collaborate right. together. Yes. <laughs> and we all got coffee from the same location. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, yeah, I wanted I wanted to be in in a smaller office. Um, I, I guess you know I, maybe I didn't think of it this way at the time, but you know really what I wanted to do, I suppose, was to you know be a bigger fish in a smaller pond. Um, and uh, so that's what I you know kind of started you know looking around for. Yeah, what was it that you found appealing about Meridian and the the opportunity there? Well, I mean, I, you know. 
to, to me, brands are everything still to this day, you know, um, uh, you know, 25 years uh, later um, mm -hmm. or, or close to it. Um, and so, you know, there is in, in my clients today in, in my trademark practice work, my domain name work are all, you know, uh, brand owners of some kind, some very small and some among the largest in the world. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, you know, the Olympic brand, as you know, is obviously among one of those strongest brands in, in the world and the opportunity, you know, to work on behalf of that brand, um, you know, and to be associated with it was, you know, something that seemed, you know, very exciting to me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we were uh, just for the listeners, you know, Meridian was kind of spun out of the Atlanta games with a couple of founding partners to replace the previous sports marketing agency. And so we, in a nutshell, sold and serviced um, exclusive rights to use the Olympic marks and the company's brands like Coca-Cola and Visa and McDonald's and, you know, print ads, product placements, commercials, radio, and then on on-site presence with all of the, the branding marks as well. And so you and the other legal folks were um, really instrumental in creating those deals and then putting them together in a way that was enforceable and protecting those very large investments by those companies. Well, you're kind, Paul. Um, <laughs> I, I uh, wish I, I had been more successful as, as you know, um, not to get too deep down into the, into the weeds, um, but uh, you certainly recall uh, those days, um, there were some struggles within the uh, Olympic uh, community, um, yes. with, with respect to, uh, what was, you know, I guess, you know, in summary, you know, can be described as a, a bribery scandal with respect to the Salt Lake city games, yes. um, that, that, uh, you know, the, the important part was it, it made it all the more challenging for me to do the role that I was supposed to be doing. Um, because yeah. all of those brands that you just mentioned that wanted to associate with the Olympic brand, um, you, you know, for the large part, we're taking a, a wait and see attitude to, you know, kind of see how, how that whole, uh, scandal would, would shake out. So yeah. it, it made my job, uh, uh, di difficult. Um, so I, which I guess seems to be a theme for, for the jobs that I'd had so far. Well, I think I know you and I spoke a lot about technology and I know that, we were both a little frustrated just with, you know, we, we had to use, and rightfully so, we used our, our partner's products, which, you know, is the right thing to do. But there were so many other things that were popping up every six months at that time. And the opportunity to try and experiment with new things and try new things. I mean, I remember when um, actually there was somebody that, so we, we put together that extranet, that Athena extranet and the the interactive agency Macquarium that we used, um, they were like on the front end of trying new things. And, you know, one person had a BlackBerry, which at the time was crazy, you know, that you could actually get your email from your phone and you could actually have a somewhat uh, decent browser. I won't say it was good, but it was functional on there. And, you know, when we were on site, uh, I can't remember, it may have been Salt Lake. And, you know, I just went out and bought one on my own because the company didn't want to pay for it. And, you know, I think it was Chris Welton or somebody had seen it and they're like, oh, we got to get one of those. Pretty soon, like <laughs> everybody had those, you know, but I mean, it was those little things that we weren't being proactive about it. We weren't seeking out ways to creative ways to solve problems and to get better and to add value. And so I quickly got stagnated, I think, with the repetitiveness of what we were just doing um, as, as valuable as it was to our companies and our sponsors. For me personally, it was a different growth. And I think for you and I, we were always sort of just talking about new things and new way to do things. And wouldn't it be great if we could do X, Y, Z? And so I really appreciated your friendship at that time. But were you starting to get the bug about, okay, there's probably something else that I can do with my skills and my interests and be able to grow professionally? I think that was a part of it. I, you know, another part of it was I still kind of had this itch to scratch of this emerging at the time area of internet law. Um, and I, you know, there was never going to be another opportunity where this area of the law was in its early days. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, issues, legal issues were arising literally for the first time 
um, you know, whether they were domain name disputes, which now I've effectively built a, a legal practice around, you know, or all sorts of other issues, you know, privacy, free speech, issues that today are still, you know, controversial, but are, are very well developed uh, because we've been dealing with them for, you know, 25 years or more, mm-hmm. um, you know, but in those days, all of these issues were emerging. And so I wanted I guess there was just something in me that wanted to be associated with that. Um, so as, as, as exciting as it was, you know, to be associated with a big brand, um, I guess I just kind of felt like, you know, this is literally the opportunity of a lifetime to, you know, be a part of this emerging area of the law, because how, how often does a new area of the law emerge? I don't know. <laughs> right. Yeah, certainly to the degree now, because I mean, you're dealing with things today that, um, you know, were, you know, already starting to be an issue um, even back then. It's just on a much larger scale, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's right. I mean, all of these issues, you know, were just kind of percolating. Um, and uh, yeah, so so after I left Meridian, um, it, I guess we don't have to go by with the play-by-play, but, but I ended up um, at a um, intellectual property law firm um, for a short while where I was kind of doing... Um, uh, really what I'm doing now. Um, but, uh, then eventually decided that it really just made the most sense to devote my entire practice to this kind of niche area of the law, um, you know, which has nothing to do with patent law, um, has nothing to do with, you know, a lot of areas of even intellectual property law. Um, it's kind of a niche within a niche, um, and so that's why for the last, I guess, 15 years or so, I've uh, had my own legal practice uh, focusing almost exclusively on, you know, this, this one area of the law that I generally refer to as online brand protection, which has a real emphasis in domain name disputes, which essentially is helping um, brand owners protect themselves online against cyber squatters. A cyber squatter is somebody who comes along and registers a, a domain name that contains somebody else's trademark or something confusingly similar to their trademark and then starts using that domain name, you know, either in connection with a website to sell counterfeit products or in the early days, uh, pornography, um, or today to use it in connection with, you know, what are called phishing emails to try to uh, scam people to, you know, provide, you know, private or financial information. Um, And so that's what I've really built, built my legal practice around. That's really fascinating. Um, yeah, there was there were a lot of those cyber squatters that were, and it was almost like, um, you know, a gold mine where, hey, if I get a great idea to to um, register for, um, I'm tr- struggling with a good example, like yeah, well, but I mean, dot com or something, right? And then you're thinking, okay, now whoever owns that or is really part of that, they're just gonna have to pay me, you know, X number of money. It's almost like a ransom to, to get the domain name back, right? Right, and and you know, it's interesting because. This area of the law has, has matured a lot, um, but uh, yeah, some of the early cases, I mean, one of them uh, uh, involved McDonald's.com um, because it was so early in the days of the internet and the web that you know even the largest of brand owners didn't think that it would be important to register their brands um, as domain names. Yeah. Uh, you know, why, why would I want a, a domain name? Uh, well, I remember Delta, like Delta Airlines, yep. they, it was delta-air.com because there was a Delta plumbing company that had delta.com. Well, it, it, yeah, and I, I, that, that's actually great because I, I know you've got a, yeah, a background with, with Delta, but I use Delta as an example when I talk to clients sometimes um, because, you know, there are trademarks um, can be owned by multiple companies. And Delta is a perfect example of that. And I sort of rattle off, you know, Delta Airlines, Delta Electronics, and Delta Faucets, mm-hmm. you know, three different companies, you know, all of which have rights to uh, the Delta trademark. Now they have to be in connection with specific goods and services, but there can only be one Delta.com. Right. Um, and so, yeah, that's part of what, you know, creates some of these interesting issues as well. Is it, um, you know, like in that example, with all of those being valid reasons to own that domain, does it just become a bidding situation where Delta Airlines is saying, look, we're going to have to just write a check to these people. And at some point they're going to say, it's not worth it for us to keep this domain name where we can make 
I'm making numbers up $5 million to sell this domain name. Is that pretty much where, where it winds up if everybody is sort of above board and valid? In, in, in that type of example, uh, it often does. Um, I don't represent Delta, um, but uh, I've certainly represented clients on both sides of buying and selling domain names for, you know, seven figures. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, domain names on the aftermarket, uh, you know, can command a lot of money. Um, yeah. The, the domain name dispute part of my practice um, doesn't so much involve that type of issue, um, although sometimes it does, but much more so it involves the issue of somebody who's registering um, a trademark that is, you know, being used to target a specific trademark owner um, or that trademark, you know, is only associated with one trademark owner. Um, and so there really are not any competing claims or competing rights to those domain names. Mm -hmm. um, it's just that somebody else happened to get it, a cyber squatter, because domain names are available to register on a first come first serve basis. And yeah. you know, there's effectively an infinite number of them um, because you can misspell you know, a domain name lots of different ways and you can add on a word or two you know, at the beginning or end of the domain name. Um, you know, it's all, almost limitless possibilities. And now there are literally well over a thousand what are called top level domains. So .com is, is no longer the only choice, even though it's mm -hmm. the most popular one. So, so I'm representing clients who have identified somebody who's registered one of those domain names. And fortunately, there's a very well-developed legal process that exists for uh, filing a complaint. It's sort of like an arbitration type of process for filing a complaint against one of those domain names and getting it transferred from the current registrant of the domain name to the proper trademark owner. Gotcha. And is that, so if, if there is, and I'm not trying to pull legal advice out of you or anything, I'm just really fascinated by this. Um, if, if I'm a cyber squatter and I've registered, um, you know, joker.com and, you know, joker playing cards comes after me for whatever reason, does that also apply to all of the other extensions, the .net, .org, um, all the other variants that they've come out with now, or does each one have to get uh, looked at individually and vetted out? Well, the dispute policy that, that um, I'm frequently filing complaints against just filed one a few hours ago uh, for my clients. Um, it's called the, the UDRP, the Uniform Domain Name Dispute Resolution Policy. It applies to all of what are called the global or generic top level domains. So, you know, traditionally .com, .net, and .org, um, but we've seen the launch in recent years, you know, of thing, everything from .aaa to .zurich. Mm -hmm. um, and so that dispute policy, the UDRP applies to all of those. Um, but there, there are still other top level domains, including country level uh, domains. Yeah. Um, that, you know, such as .us, um, every country, uh, so there are well over 200, 250 of them, uh, has its own two-letter country code top-level domain. And, and some of them have adopted the UDRP, and so the disputes can be resolved by filing a complaint under, under that policy. Others have different policies, and some have no policy at all, and so you just simply have to go to court instead. Uh, but the policy itself was created in 1999 um, to basically simplify the process of pursuing these cyber squatters to make it uh, quicker and less expensive and for that matter, practical, uh, mm -hmm. you know, much more practical than, than having to go to court. Gotcha. Now that makes sense. At, does, uh, does the rise of social media complicate that process now? Cause I know you can, you know, with a Twitter handle or an Instagram name or any sort of Facebook page, um, do those same rules apply to those social media platforms? Well, uh, trademark law still applies, um, but the, the dispute policy that I was referring to, the UDRP, only applies to domain names. So, gotcha. you, yeah, you've got an excellent point with social media handles, um, for example. Uh, you know, they are also available on a first come, you know, first serve basis. So, you know, whoever's the first to register a particular handle on Instagram um, you know, takes it away from, from everybody else. So the different social media services have their own policies. Um, so it's really not so much the law uh, that is usually used to enforce those as it is uh, the 
you know, private policies that, that, that are in place, which frankly make it pretty difficult sometimes um, to wrestle uh, a username away from, from somebody who has it already. That's why you wind up seeing like the real Shaq um, yes, rather than exactly. just, you know, but Facebook or Instagram is Shaq or Twitter or whatever. Yep. 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 That's, that's exactly right. Makes sense. That's really, that's really fascinating. So this is all part of what you do at GigaLaw. Yep. That's right. And, and you've done a lot of other things. I've seen you on a lot of um, interviews. You've done um, just a lot of, we've weighed in on different sort of dispute issues and all that. Um, what, what do you find most fascinating about the work that you do or most interesting? The variety, um, you know, which in, in a sense kind of gets back to what I like a lot about um, the news business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, we talked about at the beginning of this conversation, you know, how I kind of enjoyed, you know, creating a you know, product, um, uh, you know, an article, for example, and then moving on to the next one. Um, so here in what I do, there's a huge variety of, um, uh, of, of what I do on a day-to-day basis, not as far as the substantive area of the law. That's a very narrow um uh, area of the law that I practice in, but my clients come from every industry imaginable. Um, so I don't, you know, just represent, you know, clients in the high tech industry, for example, you know, I represent clients in the hospitality industry, um, in the fashion industry, in the banking and financial services industry, um, in the pharmaceutical industry. Um, and you know, what they all have in common is their trademark owners. Um, they have brands. And again, you know, some are, you know, many of them are brands that, you know, all of your listeners would, would recognize. Others are, you know, very small brands. Um, but ultimately, they all have the same legal issue. Uh, but what I really like about it is, you know, I get to be exposed to all sorts of different clients of all different sizes in all different industries. And so it just, it, it adds a lot of variety to, to what I do, even though, as I said, the area of the law that I practice in is, is very specific. Yeah. Well, I think too, you were, you know, kind of doing this at its, at its infancy and it's probably really rewarding to get a sense of order and, and um, you know, just some, some structure to rightful ownership and, and people that work hard on brands, brands really, you know, a tough thing to, to build up and really easy to, to tear down. So uh, it makes a lot of sense that you're doing the good work on behalf of those companies. Well, and I guess uh, thanks for saying that, um, because I guess I should have said that as well also, which is I do feel like I'm always on the right side of the law, uh, yeah. because ultimately what cyber squatters are doing, which are, you know, the people or companies that I'm filing these complaints against are trying to take advantage not only of my clients who are companies mm-hmm. uh, of all sizes, but of the companies, my clients, consumers. Yeah. Um, of, of, of the users. So, you know, you and I and your listeners and, you know, everybody else, you know, is ultimately harmed um, by any of this type of uh, cyber squatting activity. And so, you know, I, I feel good about what I do because I feel like I'm preventing people from, you know, being taken advantage of, you know, whether it's, you know, avoiding, um, you know, a misleading website or, you um, uh, you know, disclosing their personal information when they weren't sure who they were disclosing it to um, or being exposed to, you know, a virus or, or, or malware or, or something else or simply not finding what they're looking for online. I feel like what I'm doing is hopefully good for, you know, all consumers on the internet. Mm-hmm. No, that's, that's amazing. And that's, uh, it's been great to kind of see, you know, your journey and, and the gig law firm really grow and do that. If, if somebody is in college today and they are looking to get into um, IP law, trademark law, or anything with the, um, you know, just the technology space you've been describing today, um, what would be some of your recommendations? Well, you know, there are um, a number of organizations that exist that, that students can take advantage of. Um, so for example, um, I'm in, essentially what's, what's a lawyer, uh, an intellectual property club for lawyers. Um, it's mm-hmm. a little more uh, exciting than the way I just <laughs> described it. 
You need a brand uh, for that, Doug. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, its membership is limited to, to practicing intellectual property attorneys. But we have monthly programs with, you know, uh, substance and, and a social aspect to it. Um, and we're allowed to, you know, uh, bring a guest. Um, so that is a great way, you know, when I know a student, you know, who may be interested, um, it doesn't have to be a student, but, you know, it, it is something that students can take advantage of. You know, if you get to know attorneys who practice in an area of the law that you might be interested in, you know, ask if you can go to events with them. Um, some of the state bars, uh, the state bar associations, you know, which regulate the practice of law, um, have student memberships available. Um, you, you may need to be actually in, in law school already, but you can see, uh, you know, if you could become a student member or obviously with, you know, so much information online these days, just to see what some of the events are. So I'm used to be chair of the intellectual property section for the state bar of Georgia. And um, that, that uh, section still exists, of course. You know, there's a lot of programming that, go that goes on. Um, and so, uh, you know, you may need to know somebody to uh, uh, get yourself an invitation, um, but it's a great opportunity to meet other lawyers um, and learn about, you know, this, this area of the law. Gotcha. Yeah, that's it's really good advice because I think getting that exposure and, an op and networking opportunity as well, just to sort of learn from others and see if this is the right fit or the right interest that, that makes sense for, for each individual. Exactly. If, uh, if, so if you could go back in time, what advice would you give yourself? Because you've seen a lot of things change. What's, what resonates for you? Mm, good question. Um, you know, I guess one of those other sayings, trite kind of sayings is, you know, um, do what you want in the, you know, um, uh, money will follow for lack of a better word. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but I do think it's very important to, you know, do something for a living that you enjoy and or that you care about, um, because obviously it consumes so much of our lives. Um, and I could not imagine doing something that, you know, didn't do that for me. Um, mm -hmm. I like what I do. I enjoy what I do. Um, as a, um, owner of my own practice, I get to do a lot of different aspects, uh, of the practice. So I'm not only practicing law, but I'm marketing my practice. Um, and I very much enjoy that. Um, so, you know, you need to find not only a career that interests you, but, you know, some aspect of that career that suits your personality, as I talked about earlier. Um, so, you know, don't, don't look at careers for what you think is the hot career or the profitable career um, or the, you know, important to somebody else career. Look for the one that you're going to enjoy being a part of, and maybe you'll make the wrong decision like I did. Um, I wouldn't be doing what I am doing now if I hadn't started off on a different journey. Um, mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, that's, that's fine too. So, you know, be, be willing to change careers. Yeah. I think that's, that's really good advice. And I think that even though you, you know, you didn't spend your entire career in, in journalism, newspapers, print, whatever, that built some of the tools and, you know, ways that are certainly making you the, the attorney in the, you know, the IP world that you are, um, in addition to just your communication style. I mean, you've been interviewed by a lot of media outlets. And I think being able to kind of think through things and being able to be articulate about what you're talking about, I think it's been a real gift for you. So that's been, uh, you just never know what life throws at you, but it's it's been great to kind of hear your journey today. Well, thanks. You know, I, I guess the only other thing I would say is, is I reflect on what you just said. Um, yes, I have been interviewed a lot. Um, I do speak a lot on this area of the law that I practice in. Um, uh, I've got a relatively new YouTube channel. I like doing those kind of things. Um, but I, you know, by picking a very specific area of the law, in my case, um, you know, I've been able to become a bit of an expert or, or well established in it. I, I sit in awe of, you know, when I see these uh, TV lawyers, you know, talk about every legal topic under the sun from, you know, presidential impeachment to, you know, uh, a murder trial to, you know, anything and everything in between. I don't have that skill. Uh, I'm not that broad. 
um, uh, and very narrow. I, I like to think very deep in one area. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but again, you need to pick what works best for you. Um, and sometimes you just don't know until you've tried it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's so true. And I think this, you know, you've kind of demonstrated certainly the flexibility and the ability to pivot, um, to find, you know, what you really are. And I know for me personally, you know, my interests have changed over time too. And I feel like, I don't feel like I've sort of wasted, you know, my jobs I've had earlier, even though they didn't, they weren't necessarily enriching, but it built some of the tools that I use today. And in a way that's to your point, it's unique to me, you know, I'm not living somebody else's life. Um, and I think that's really, really important for, for, um, younger viewers to, uh, to just remember that, uh, you know, always be looking at options, um, and match what is really best for you. I agree. Well, Doug, this has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. It was great catching up with you. Um, I could spend probably two hours talking about all the ins and outs of, of, uh, IP law and some of the the challenge is going on today. We may have to do a follow-up episode. Uh, well, I'd be, I'd be happy to, um, you know, I, uh, don't want to bore your, your listeners. Um, you <laughs> talk to, you know, uh, a, a great number of people across a you know, great number of different, uh, industries, um, and different journeys that, that they've had. And, you know, I think the important thing, you know, is for your listeners to, you know, um, listen to as many episodes of, of your podcast, uh, as they can to, learn as, as much as they can from as many people as possible. So it's awesome. a great service that, you, that you're doing, Paul, by offering this. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I'm having, and I'm having fun with it. Like you said, it's, it doesn't feel like work. Um, and, you know, by just, you know, the feedback I get and, and just being able to do this and connect with some folks that I've enjoyed over the years, uh, it's just been a lot of fun. So definitely enjoyed it. Well, Doug, thanks a lot for your time today. Thank you.